Welcome to The Great Indoors. And today, we're in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Thank you, Olivia, for inviting us here. Olá a todos. Um grande prazer recebê-los para o FutureCon 2022, um momento muito esperado por todos. E este ano em especial, tivemos o Great Indoors podcast liderado pelo Matthew Roberts pela primeira vez no Brasil. Aproveitem. Well, thank you very much, Olivia. This is our first episode from FutureCon in Sao Paulo. So buckle up, let's get started. Yes, you may have guessed it, but we've relocated from Las Vegas, Nevada to Sao Paulo, Brazil to record some conversations here at FutureCon. Now, over this week, I've been joined by a multitude of guests from across Brazil, and I'm also here with my Kala team, including my producer for these special shows, Lorraine Ruli. So welcome, Lorraine. Now, this is the first in these Brazilian special edition episodes featuring some of the incredible conversations that we've captured here at Brazil's biggest telecoms and technology show. And in this inaugural episode, I'll be speaking with TV host and personality Zeco Camargo. Now, Zeco, uh, interestingly, was Brazil's first MTV VJ back in the day. And after a glittering, glittering career involving acting and reality TV, he hosts the Brazilian game show 1001 Questions. I'm also joined by Brazilian racing legend Max Wilson. Now, Max has competed at the highest level of motorsport, including Formula 3, Formula 1 and touring cars. He is now a TV pundit in Brazil on F1, but also pays special interest to the role technology plays in motorsport evolution. So today's big question on TGI in Brazil is how does technology enhance entertainment and sport? So let's get going. So here we are again in Sao Paulo at FutureCom 2022. It's been an amazing uh, show so far. Personally, I've had a blast, but I'm really honored and excited to welcome my next guest to TGI here in Sao Paulo today, Mr. Zato Kama Kamaga. That's it. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you. We met a couple of days ago at a, at a panel. We had an amazing discussion, many thoughts about the future. I myself, I put some some spice on that and asking about the future of entertainment. That's my area. That's where I work. So let's talk about it. Well, uh, and I see this as very much revenge from my perspective. You asked the questions uh, <laughs> the other day and, and now the shoe is on the other foot, as we say. So um, I think we can have some fun, but I, I think that's what we need to talk about is the future of entertainment. We're at a technology show. Yeah. We're seeing new things. We're speculating about the future. But before we get into that, just for our listeners, uh, Zafio, please give us a sort of bio, if you will. Actually, today we're celebrating my premiere on TV 30 years ago to this day. We opened MTV Brazil and I was there right at the beginning. That was like, again, 32 years ago. And, I, and then, of course, afterwards, and I, I had a previous experience with a newspaper, working with cultural journals as well. From MTV, I went to work for Global Television, which is like, of course, the biggest network in Brazil, South America, in South America. And uh, I spent 25 years there working in very uh, different shows. Uh, now I work for another TV show called Bandeirantes, and, and it's like a, a pop culture question. I love pop culture. But in the last 12 months, 
what's been the biggest technological innovation that you've personally embraced? Something new, whether it's a product or a something that's helped you in your everyday life? I have a confession to make. I'm, I'm, I'm a late uh, adopter of things, you see. I should not even mention which iPhone do I have because that will be a shame for you. But uh, it's still, what, I, what I'm most excited about is like, what with broadcast? There's a, a World Cup coming up here and uh, TV Bandeirantes that I work for is very involved with that. So personally, I, I don't really got involved with that in new technology, but I've seen, I've participated in some uh, trials with new equipment and the possibilities. I, I'm look, really looking forward to the World Cup, of course, for the, for the soccer, for the, for, for the games, but also for the covering. That will be quite exciting. You will be able to watch a fantastic points of view and new image exclusively for you. I mean, there's a plethora of possibilities and that what really excite me. And I've been involved in, into that. I don't cover sports. I, I, I cover pop culture, as I told you. But being at the, at the station and Mother Inches is a major player when it comes to sports, you see. So I'm involved with that and, and, and I can see the enthusiasm of everybody saying, look, this will be a totally different World Cup because people will experience it, it in a very different way. So, no, and it is amazing, isn't it, to think that, yeah, this World Cup is going to usher in a completely new way of consuming yeah. live content, right? It's a, it's a whole different ball game now. But this will definitely change the way people consume sports, entertainment, everything. They, it's like a big trial. It has happened already. And I remember the first coverage of a World Cup and also the Olympics uh, through the internet. And I, I, my major career career was in uh, a network, TV network. They said, oh, that's going to be a threat. And what I learned at that time is that it's a threat. I mean, we can aggregate things. You see, just, just expand or say in, 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 in haste the experience of enjoying a, a game, a competition, a moment of victory or something like that, sometimes big losses as well. But it, it's gone a bit different. So the more e technology advances, I think, the more we'll be able to, to, to share things, to get closer, to get, to get exclusive views. And uh, I'm a very optimistic person about technology. It's not like, oh, it's going to kill this and this way of covering this stuff. No, it's just going to improve everything we know, experience and learn about uh, entertainment. But I just thought of a great analogy based on what you were saying then, Zachary. And, and it, it takes me back to you starting at MTV. Yeah. Right. So and you, you said something that the music's always going to be there. The music was always an audio sensory experience. And when you started on MTV, it became an audio and visual sensory experience. And what we're talking about now is it's an audio, visual, immersive, participatory experience. It's just going to add to the experience. See? Uh, one of the big questions about the beginning of MTV is that, oh, yeah, it's going to kill. I mean, actually, it didn't happen in Brazil. The first video clip played in Brazil was by a Brazilian singer, uh, Marina Lima, special version of The Girl From Ipanema. She sang that in a very remixed way. But in the US, I'm pretty sure the first video ever was a song by the Googles. I video killed the radios, huh? And what wasn't that like a an omen? Yeah, no, and it's true. But and they, and there was something in it that they, like you said, they predicted that MTV and the, and the video TV generation would destroy radio, and it didn't. 
I mean, the breakthrough, you have to maybe let people know that they, they will not lose anything in that experience. I mean, uh, sometimes people, especially from my generation, they have a lot of, a lot of nostalgia for that MTV. You know, MTV is important to say it's still around, see? But it's more like a reality show stuff. In Brazil, there's a lot of uh, comedy pieces. That, whatever, you can, you can transform yourself. You can become anything you want. Uh, but people approach me sometimes, people from my generation say, you know what, uh, I missed that MTV. Oh, that experience. Oh, the good old days of MTV Brazil. I say, you know what, you want to watch a video now. Why people turned on to MTV by that time? Because they wanted to watch the video of the music they love. So you want to watch a video now, where do you turn to? To your phone, you see. There's no way, it's, it, it's, it's totally bold to say, oh, let's premiere this video on TV. What you can catch it. I mean, the video released in, I know, I don't know, Korea, for instance, the Korean beds are big now. You can experience in the, in, in, in Bahia, in Brazil, in seconds, just that. So you, you have to, uh, people that are not early adopters, to, to let them know that, hey, you, your experience is going to change and it's going to change for the better. The thing is, if you want me, and I'm asked this every time, very often I talk with at universities at young students of journalism and stuff. Like, so what, what will TV become? What's the future of television? I say, you're asking me, you should be asking yourselves because you guys with 20 years old, you should be trying to learn the answer to that as a almost 60 year old guy. Um, I'm going to be happy to embrace that. I might be thinking sometimes, I'd, as, I, as I said, watching what uh, Bandeirantes is doing for the cover of the World Cup. I say, oh my God, I got to get this to my show. Maybe I will try to use this idea. But you guys, the younger generation, are thinking uh, of new ways to express, to engage people, and finally to enhance, as we said, this whole experience of just watching a show. You said something there that's triggered, that's made me think of, of something else that's fascinating here. Because music artists, they wrote a song. True. They recorded the song. Yeah. They released the record. The record sold and that, that was it. But when MTV came around, the musical artist had to write the song, record the song, and then create the video. Because the song would only succeed with a video that backed it up. So they had to add a different media element to their creativity. Well, and they came with that, some masterpieces, you see? So it's not, it's not like you're losing anything. You just have, it, there's more ways to communicate to, with, to communicate with your audience. Embra just go for that, you see? Because, um, I mean, some artists, let's say, the most obvious ones, Michael Jackson or Madonna, they became pioneers in, 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 in inspiring people to experience music in a different way. I started at a newspaper before MTV. There was 40 to São Paulo where I were before. And what was my job by then? I would go, I would talk to somebody, report a thing, come back to the editing room, write a piece on, on a sheet of paper, actually. That was how it happened at that time. I was back in 1987. And okay, it's got, then print. And the next day, the story will be there. Hey, if I go for a story today, I have to do a video like that, maybe record uh, one, two, three stories, try to think something about how to engage more people with her reels or TikTok, whatever, and also come with headlines and stuff, things that might work at Twitter or something. So it's basically the same thing. I'm writing a good piece of news, you see? 
But the way I want this to reach people, this will definitely go to change. No, and I think it, it takes us back to the panel we did um, uh, earlier this week. And we were looking at the, met- we talked about the metaverse specifically. Yeah. And in the same way we saw the transition with to MTV and the video, some of the pop concerts from Ariara Grande, Justin Bieber, they're live in the metaverse. Again, we're seeing that shift from that uh, progression into these new technologies from a younger generation. Exactly. But it's happening. It is. Uh, and of course, some critics would say, uh, this is like uh, dangerous, you see, because we're becoming less humans. Remember, at the end of the panel, I say, what are we, what are we facing now? You mentioned in your, in your speech, are we going towards a dystopia or a utopia? It's like, it, it can work both ways. I mean, and you know already how social network uh, can be destructive and, and sometimes even dangerous if you don't really use it for, uh, with good intentions. Everything can go both ways. I want to be very optimistic because there will always be something made by humans. It could be news piece. It could be a song, a short video. It could be a talk between two uh, interesting guys. You see, there will be always a human touch. Either you experience it live. This is going to become rarer and rarer, of course. Or in a metaverse, you can still... He can only start with some human touch. It's the notion of transhumanism, which you mentioned there is, for example, when mankind created fire, the stomachs changed. When man created, mankind created the, the book, their memory capacity shrinked over the next few hundred years because they didn't, they could write things down to get, so you think what happens to our physicality in the metaverse? Do our eyes diminish? Do our ears? I mean, there's that element, which people, we, we don't know that what it's going to happen. The experience is so far very small to know how we're going to overcome this. But again, with the good, very good examples you gave us before, we learn to adapt to see, and look at us now, where, where are we? We are at a better world. If we have technology, science, uh, gadgets, whatever, to tease us with this. And another example, getting that balance right and augmenting it, is driverless cars, right? So yeah. if driverless cars come along, are we all for that all of a sudden stop driving? No. I think the driverless car gives you the option to say, I will drive this leg of the journey. Right, exactly. Then when I get into Sao Paulo, I'm going to sit back and let the computer take over because the traffic's a nightmare. So it's something that should augment and enhance our, what we enjoy doing. But I guess sometimes I feel like we, we are suspicious of our own kind. It's like, can I really ride on a driverless car? Yes, you can. You, can, you have to trust technology. Because people, you, you would watch an airplane at the beginning of the last century and say, no, this thing's not going to fly. I'm not, I'm not crossing the ocean with this and look what happens to us now. Although I would say I travel around the world, do travel. Well, that's my big passion besides pop music. And I say, there have been talks about uh, <laughs> a pile of less playing. I say, whoa, <laughs> will we get that? Yeah. Would you consider flying on that? I would think twice, but finally, you see, just, just, just going up on a plane is a really daring experience, you see. 
And it's funny because some of the things, and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on this, because some of the things in the entertainment world forecast the future. If we look back on things like Herbie, remember Herbie the Cow or Knight Rider, they were computer-driven cars, right? And that reality is coming to be. Uh, yeah, but all these things you mentioned actually put us on an edge. I like the idea that pieces of fiction of a movie, a, a, a series, make us think twice about it. Because, okay, putting us on an edge, say, okay, I'll, I'll go and I'll test, and this will make scientists and creators more concerned and more engaged with, with, with their, their inventions and the, with their new technologies. I think this little game between dystopia and utopia, it's interesting because move us forward and always we will, be, we will side with the good experience. You know what I think it's done, and I think this is a really, th this is a good conclusion, I think, to the future of entertainment. It's democratized the creators. I can be a creator now. My daughter can write an alternate ending to a Harry Potter novel, publish it online and, and get engagement and downloads. People are empowered to be creative now. So listen, we're almost out of time. If we met again 10 years from now, at this very show, we may be a little bit, you know, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, but what would be your big prediction? First of all, we'll be meeting in a metaverse, definitely. Not here. I mean, and, and I will be, again, optimistic about it. I mean, we're going to explore levels that we haven't even thought about it. See? So, and I hope, well, Daniel's time will be 70. I'm going to be sharing this experience, again, with people with, of every generation. It's going to be so open, so engaging, that I can only see as, as a good thing. It might not be myself here, wearing this white shirt bra with uh, textile from India. It could be whatever I want to be at that time. You see, uh, I'll be maybe younger at the metaverse. I'll be myself. I can, I can even be older, more experienced at the metaverse, but we need, what we will not lose is this capacity to talk and to exchange ideas because, uh, and that, that, that will be the day where they would totally lose that. And I think technology is on our side about it. See you in 10 years time in the metaverse and my avatar will make me 10 years younger. That will be the difference. So I'm really honored, excited to be joined by our next guest here on TGI at uh, FutureCon Sao Paulo 2022. I'm a racing driver, he's a TV commentator, uh, he'll be speaking on the main stage about how technology is affecting motorsport. So I'd like to welcome the great indoors today, Mr. Max Wilson. Thanks very much, Matthew, for having me here. It's a pleasure, it's an honor to be with you here today and uh, let's talk about technology and motorsport. Well, you know, and I'm really excited about this because we've never spoken about motorsport specifically before on this show. But before we get going, just staying on the theme of technology, what is an innovation in technology or a product or something that touches your life personally that's been quite uh, what's so impactful to you over the last 12 months? Of course, you know, mobile phones, you know, it's on the connectivity is one thing so important, you know, for everyone nowadays. 
for family. Like I got a son and it's always good to find out where he is or be in touch with him anytime we want. It's good for us that technology has advanced so much in the last few years as far as now connectivities and the quality of the technology of today. And uh, for sure for me is the connectivity. Excellent. Excellent. And for all listeners around the world, can you give them just a one minute elevator pitch or one minute elevator bio on your history today, Max? Because it's pretty fascinating. I'm a racing car driver myself and uh, I started go-karting when I was 10 years old. And uh, I came across all the series over in Brazil, all the categories over here in Brazil from go-karting to Formula 4, Formula 3. And then I went and moved it to Europe. My goal, my dream back then was to get an F1, become an F1 racing car driver. And uh, I got as far as test driver for Williams Grand Prix, a British team, a very big one. And uh, I was very proud to get that far. And uh, when I got to Williams, Williams was the running champion back in the day, was 1997. And from there, I moved to America, also racing. I did some IndyCar racing back in the States. That was in 2001. And then from there, I ended up in Australia. No wonder. So it was a long trip, but it was a great experience to live in Australia, not only because of the race or motorsport, but Australia is a beautiful country. And then after 12 years on the road, I decided to come back home and uh, came back to Brazil to be close to my family, parents, and friends. And uh, as much as I have done a lot of, a lot of friends throughout these years, in, you know, in the place I lived in, but uh, it was good to be back home and uh, here I am today. And uh, today I'm still doing some racing. I'm a director in the Porsche Cup Brazil, it's a series that uh, we have here in Brazil. And also work in the broadcast of the F1, you know, commentator, as, as a commentator as well. Excellent. That's a, now, I know you're going to be speaking on the main stage in a moment and we can get into some of the detail. But I think, um, and we spoke about it before, Max, Technology and data is having a significant impact on f- motorsport, specifically Formula One. Just give our listeners a sort of uh, what it's doing, how it's enhancing the sport and, and the sort of data you're collating to improve the efficiency. As you mentioned, Matthew, you know, sport and technology, they've been walking hand to hand for decades now. And even sports like cricket or soccer, sports that we don't even know that the technology is involved, but it is. Especially when in a sport where you have a machine on board of it, like a race car or a motorbike or something, technology became even more important because it helps a lot of the drivers, talking about motorsport, but also about the machines, about the cars. So talking about the drivers first, uh, motorsport is a kind of unique sport in a way that uh, first off, you don't have a coach. Normally you don't have a motor, uh, like a racing car driver coach. You know, the guy, sort of the drivers trying the uh, error and you know, making things right and wrong. And then he finds out. There's a, a, a lot of instinct involved. Exactly. Technology, mainly on the data acquisition thing, part of it, is changed the sport big time because in a racetrack, if you're like sitting in the P1, for example, watching what's going on, you can't really see so much. The racetrack is huge. It's a different environment from like a soccer field or a tennis court, for example. So the data acquisition that comes through a software that the car produces it, you know, helps the driver understand, okay, when I'm gaining time, where I'm losing time, when I'm breaking too late and, you know, make a couple of tens in the corner or when I'm breaking too early and lose a little bit of time. So technology played a big role as far as driver's evolution kind of it. And that's the reason why, for example, if you take the great drivers from back in the 80s, for example, 
comparing to a drive which were not that great, there was a big gap between them. Like Derriton Senna, that is a Brazilian, comparing him to some of his teammates, sometimes in a qualifying lap, there were two, three seconds gap. And the reason why that happened was nobody knew why he was that fast because they didn't have a way to understand what he was doing. Nobody knew where he was breaking, which gear he was using niche corner sort of thing. And through the data acquisition, all that information was provided to all the drivers that was in the same team with him. So therefore, the driver could compare what he was doing to what Senna was doing, for example. And therefore, he could elevate his game big time through this information. I've just come up with a, uh, something that I think is quite profound, if I don't mind saying so myself. But whenever in this industry, we always talk about the digitalization of something, the digitalization of music, where music went online, the digitalization of books, the digitalization of TV. But what you're describing is the digitalization of instinct. That, that's, a, that's a pretty accurate, in a way, to put it. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, you can see in a computer what that guy was doing by instinct, exactly what you just mentioned. And uh, that's something that uh, changed the sport because, you know, racing is difficult to understand what's, what the driver is doing if you don't have that. If you watch a tennis match, for instance, you can see with your eye what's going on. Which grip did the player, you know, hold the racket, racket or what, you know, sort of stroke he was doing that ball or that particular point. Racing, you cannot do that, especially racing cars. Because motorbikes, for example, you can see the rider on top of the bike. Has it done anything for the really good drivers? Obviously, it's helped them hone their machines. It's helped them become more efficient. But are they, are they pro or are they against the... <laughs> you know, for the great drivers, it still helped a little bit because as much as you're talented, for example, it's, very, it's nearly impossible to become perfect. So the great drivers were very close to perfection, but they never get there. There is no way to get there. For this particular group of people, the great drivers, technology helped to fine tune the little bits here and there to get better again, to improve a little bit more. For the drivers that were not that great, technology, as far as that is concerned, helped quite a bit more, which in a way hurt the great drivers. Imagine in soccer, you're a big fan of soccer. If you're Liverpool, you know, it's showing everybody what you're doing or, you know, another team, every single play that you're training or everything, all that information you're giving to your rival. That is in a way a little bit unfair, but it's part of the game. It's part of the, the way things run today. So, but it helped both drivers, you know, but mainly level the playing field. And have the rule makers of, say, Formula One, stepped in to put any limits on the data you can use or are they is it just laissez-faire just go for it or have they identified maybe that gives an unfair advantage maybe uh, are they starting to change the rule book slightly a little bit they did a little bit because not as much as the data the data is still pretty wide open what it can you know gather as information but also the technology was wasn't only about data was about some parts of the car or some softwares for example, one thing that everybody knows because the road cars, they got it today, traction control. For example, traction control for road cars is mainly for safety. For racing, it's more about performance. So it's something that uh, back in the day, F1 had traction control. And then the organization 
got to a point where, oh, that was a little bit too much because the machine or the technology is making that job or work that the driver should be doing with his own foot in the throttle. So there was a point where it was a little bit unbalanced, like the traction control example, or the active suspension that, you know, the car could ride in the perfect grind high from comparing to the road because it was all controlled electronically. So back in the day, there were times where they overcame a little bit where the balance point was. But I think today's pretty spot on and uh, they got back to where the driver, which is the athlete, makes the difference, not as much as the technology. And those learnings, that sort of data loop that comes from, say, the, the car itself, that improves, say, the efficiency of the engine, do they feed that back into the consumer world to improve regular consumer cars? Definitely. Most of the things that you take from the motorsport industry, you can apply in road car. You know, for example, throttle for a long time now, this is controlled by fly-by-wire. It's a wire that electronically controls the throttle. So ABS system, traction control, they all started in motorsport and then the industry, the road car industry, they put them on their road cars because mainly again about safety. But some of the manufacturers, they also have a sports car. So some of the technology they apply also in sports cars, which are road cars, but you know, they can still use it. So for example, one thing today that we got in F1, for example, is a DRS, which is a drag reduction system, which, you know, the rear, uh, rear wing of the car gets in a lower angle so the car can go faster on the street line. Something that the road cars today, the sports cars today, they have this technology as well, for example, or the pedal shifts, which you change the gears a lot faster than manually. So a lot of things from the motorsport, mainly F1 is the biggest laboratory as far as producing things that translate to road cars a few years later. And what do you think's next for F1? Because one of the things that we talk about is this propulsion of digital adoption. Technology is moving faster than ever. Things are changing so quickly. What's on the horizon? I mean, time will tell. Like if you think back 20 years ago, there were a lot of things that you use today that we never imagined that we we're going to use. For instance, for example, when the race cars, at first they were H-pad gear changes. And then they became sequential, also manually, which was a big step. And now it's a panel shifter. So I'm not too sure what's going to happen in furious time. One thing though, F1 or motorsport in general, they can never forget that it's a sport. You can never go too far with technology. One thing for sure is electrical engines, which in F1, they have already their hybrid system cars. They have a combustion engine. They also have an electric engine. The new rule changes for 2026, more electrical power is going to be available for the F1 cars. So sustainable fuels as well for the combustion engine. So there are a lot of things that's still in evolution and the uh, time will tell what's going to, how far we're going to go. That leads me nicely into something I wanted to discuss is obviously electrical cars, EVs are hot right now. It's a big talking point. But do you think the combustion engine will be replaced by electric cars in F1 eventually? Not in the near future, because for instance, in 2026, the F1 has already made the rules from 2026 onwards, which is still have a combustion engine in the system. The electrical engine is going to be bigger, but the combustion engine is going to be there again. But in the other hand, they're going to go to a, a sustainable fuel system or fuel source. So to, to not 
have as much as many pollution environments. So, but I think for the next uh, at least 10, 15 years, combustion engine in F1 is going to be still there. But that's what lends itself to the atmosphere, the sound and the smell of the, of the, uh, that, that's what it's all about. Exactly. It'd be the same if it went. I don't think, you know, combustion engine, I don't think it's going to be ever away. A lot of people believe that, you know, uh, electric car is going to take over the world. Some manufacturers actually, they're going to go full electric within the next five years. But I think combustion engine is going to be still around for a long time. I think the only thing that they're really looking at big time, which is very important, is to have a combustion engine system that is not as aggressive towards the nature as nowadays. They talk about hydrogen engines, you know, suppliers. Ethanol is a big, you know, industry as well. So you see what happens. The thing I want, and there's a picture on the wall that kind of illustrates it. It was something I talked about yesterday is the metaverse. So you're a commentator now, Max. So you have a great, but for the spectator, how do you think technology is going to change the experience they have, whether watching the sport at home or indeed going to the racetrack to watch it? Because the example is I can put on my headset at the racetrack, be anywhere on the track. Even on the race cars. Even in the race cars. Absolutely. You know, you know that's amazing. And it has all to do with the con connectivity, which plays a big part of it. it can be in the racetrack or in your house and watch the race from the driver's sort of, you know, seat. And it, exactly. And I think it's great because as many, as much we can show people what, you know, we're doing inside the cars, I think it makes the sport more attractive and attract the new people, new fans, you know, which is very good for, for the industry of motorsports. So that has been already happening. I think, you know, where are we going to get as far as, you know, how much more information or how much, how much more images you're going to provide and technology is going to provide. I think, you know, it's going to be amazing, but, you know, so far it's been unbelievable what technology has, you know, made for racing fans. And I'm even thinking to myself, how exciting would it be to witness Formula One as if you were sat in the car in real time with full virtual reality? It's crazy, and you're not that far ahead, you know, that uh, because we have all their F1 cars, they got onboard cameras. Today, there are uh, cameras even inside the helmets, uh, in line with the eye sort of, you know, level of the race car driver, and they're going to make the sport even more interesting. They're going to attract more people through technology. Now, we told before as well, and I think it's really interesting, the United States, there's a, there's a, a boom now for F1, right? which will bring in a whole different audience. We spoke about Austin, Texas, when, and obviously Las Vegas. It's coming to Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. But the one thing I know, when I was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, I noticed a couple of innovations, technical innovations, that blew our minds, really, didn't it? And I wasn't expecting it. And I thought, Las Vegas is like becoming the Silicon Valley for the, for the car, right? Because there was... The Tesla Loop, the underground Elon Musk public transportation system. Then there was Halo Car, this semi-autonomous driverless service. If people stop driving themselves 20, 30 years from time, if they don't drive their own cars anymore, how would that affect Formula One? I mean, if someday we get to that point in the sport, I mean, we can't get that far on the road. As far as the sport is concerned, I think, you know, it has to have a limit for it. Every time the technology has gone a little bit too far, they have already stopped it. If you think about it, 
some of the technologies that we had 30 years ago, they stopped it 30 years ago and they never came back to the sport again. They came back to the road cars, for example, but the sport, they never came back because as much as every sport became a business, became an industry, always going to have to have the heroes, the athletes, and you cannot never take, take that apart. You have obviously, it's your life, you have a love and a passion for driving, right? I don't believe people all, even if the technology exists, they'll give up driving in because it's something you enjoy doing. If you're on the open road, if there's beautiful countryside, if driving is something people like to do. But I, th I think what autonomous cars will allow people to do is say, I'm going to drive that leg of the journey. Then I'm going to let the machine take over for that leg. So when I get into downtown London, I don't want the stress. Right. So I'll hand over to the computer, but I don't think there's going to be full autonomy anyway, even if the technology allows that, because it's too much fun to drive, right? Or I think it's going to be an option. You know, you can have a full autonomy or you can have halfway through it, like an animation, like about the one that you wrote in, you know, in Vegas, or you can have it full on yourself, like airplanes are, you know, airplanes, you can got automatic pilots and then you can take control if you want again. You know, so I think, you know, you're going to go to the same direction as airplanes, as far as that is concerned. That's going to be excellent. Well, listen, I'm really looking forward to seeing you go on the main stage uh, later on. We're going to check that out. Uh, do you have any closing comments for our listeners before we wrap it up today, Max? Just, you know, thank you once again for having me here. It's a, it's a great experience to be sharing, you know, our, our world, which is motorsport with yours, which is technology, which, you know, we've been together for many years. Congrats for the podcast and they're going to be a big supporter from now on. And uh, thanks once, once again for having me here. No, it's been great. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Thank you. What a great episode uh, to kick things off here in uh, in Brazil. Uh, stay tuned for more and also check out amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors for more information, back episodes and videos associated with TGI. Actually, these Brazilian episodes are all available in video format, so check them out as well. You'll see how much fun we're having. But for now, I shall see you next week. I'm Matthew Roberts in Sao Paulo, and I'll see you next time wherever you are.